Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. In our last episode, we took a look from a clinical psychology perspective at the intersection of emotional intelligence and the law. We spoke with Dr. Rob Doerr, who is a good friend of mine and is a licensed psychologist based in Asheville, North Carolina, where he is the principal owner of Roots Psychology, a national psychological services firm. Welcome back to the show, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. So glad to be back for uh, another, another episode. So in our last episode, we took a very close look at emotional intelligence from a research and more of a theoretical perspective. And among other things, we walked through in more detail the Goleman model. We had also discussed mindfulness and the intersection of emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And I think that that would be a great place for us to jumpstart our conversation today. Can you talk a little bit more about that intersection of emotional intelligence and mindfulness and what um, and how they're synergistic and also what the differences are? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great place to start. I, this is a this is a question I think a lot of people are um, asking and really curious about this relationship between mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And I think most would agree that mindfulness is really an essential habit and lifestyle, a way of being that increases emotional intelligence. So not only for self-awareness, but, but for all competencies, really. I mean, mindfulness is just a core part of any good EI training. You know, in my classes and the programming that we do, uh, as I mentioned on the previous episode, uh, you know, we always teach a, a basic breath meditation and introduce various mindfulness exercises throughout. So, you know, the relationship, in my opinion, is that mindfulness is a way of increasing your emotional intelligence going forward. And here, here's why. EI is really a collection of emotional skills that can be trained. And um, it all begins with attention training. And it, you know, it may seem odd that EI begins with attention training, but it's, it's core to it. And in the previous episode, we were talking about the Goleman's domains. And for most, whether it's um, you know, any of the researchers, their, their framework has a core aspect of it, of awareness. So being tuned in to the emotional currents throughout our life. Uh, but it all begins with attention training because we have to be able to see ourselves objectively. And to do so, we have to acquire the ability to examine our thoughts and emotions from a third person perspective, not getting swept up in the emotion, not identifying with it, but just seeing it clearly and objectively. And this, this really requires a stable and clear non-judging attention. Sounds, sounds nice, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of people conflate the idea of mindfulness with meditation. And I'd love to get your thought, your quick thoughts on that, because, um, you know, I've just, I find that sometimes you have to be very careful about the vernacular that you use and meditation. I always have seen as a vehicle to achieve mindfulness, but do you care to comment on that? 
I think that's right too. I think there's a lot of different ways to think about mindfulness. You know, the mindfulness is being applied to how we eat and, you know, uh, how we walk and how we, how we talk, being mindful throughout various aspects of our life, you know, being mindful at work, uh, being mindful when we exercise. So mindfulness can mean a lot of different things, meditation in particular, and there's a lot of different forms of meditation, but absolutely. So meditation tends to be more a sitting practice where we're more still and focused on a particular object that's that's always present say the breath is probably the most common one or focusing our attention throughout our body and that's why i was saying mindfulness is such a wonderful tool to develop that that attention training aspect of it because that's really what that's really what it does is it it helps us develop the regions of the brain that are responsible for attentional control so, you know, the, the anterior cingulate cortex, um, other regions of the brain that are responsible for staying focused, which we all need so much, you know, especially today. I mean, we have basically an ADHD epidemic on our hands here with, uh, with our attention span. Exactly. With our phones and all the distractions and the mentality that we have to be dealing with things on a 24 seven basis, seven days a week, you know, right. So much like pulling us away, you know, from, from our attention and our focus. So, yeah, so I, I totally agree. I think meditation is an avenue to be more mindful. And, and then with that, it's also, as you're more mindful, you are more emotionally intelligent because you're tuned into the dynamic. One of my, one of a great mentor of mine at Northwestern, uh, Wei Zen Wang, he used to talk about, he had a great saying that he would say uh, in emotional intelligence trainings, he would say, have one foot you know, in the content of any conversations. So you've got one foot, one ear in, and you've always got one foot out. And, and that other foot or that other ear is listening to the dynamic. And in any social interaction, and think about it, in the legal practice, in the legal work, you're right there in a heated debate or in a conversation. There is so much nonverbal. We know that you know 75% or more of communication is nonverbal. So if we're only so for lawyers and law students, I mean, if they're only tuned into the the verbal, they're really missing out on all this dynamic and, and deeper process that's happening. So, um, so mindfulness helps us tune into that and to have that one foot in that one ear in to the social content, the, the context, and then an ear out listening and watching for, for the dynamic. And what I mean by that is paying attention to what you're feeling, paying attention to what people are bringing up in you. So if I'm starting to get upset at a client, uh, or upset at a judge, um, or, you know, frustrated or anxious, I'm tuned into that because those emotions, each emotion has a very particular default response with it. And we, we, you know, there are different things for all of us. It's a, an emotion is, it's so important to understand what an emotion is. This is when I wish, uh, can we do like, you know, six episodes here so we could just <laughs> go, go through, you know, me and you're like, oh my gosh, Rob, please stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> But I like this is where seriously we, we, we need to go through what an emotion is, which is a really complex uh, behavioral and cognitive process. And each emotion brings about a default response in us. So when I'm when I'm um, angry, I may tend to isolate more or I may tend to become louder and really puff my chest. But if if and with each of these default responses, there's pros and cons for all of us. So emotional intelligent people and leaders and emotionally intelligent lawyers are able to recognize, oh, there's anger. And I know my default mode is to become more boisterous and, and domineering. And, is, and then you can think to yourself, is that a good fit for this situation? Right. 
And so, so it brings this default response into the conscious as opposed to being compulsive, which is what EI is all about. Yeah. And then you can make a choice, right? As long as you're aware of it, then you can make a choice about whether you want to go down that totally. rabbit hole of your default response or whether you're going to choose to be different, um, exactly. which is great. So I would actually like to take the conversation we just had about mindfulness, which really what we're saying is that it's a vehicle to boost emotional intelligence. And what I'd like to do is use this as a platform to now shift our conversation to talk about some specific tips and habits um, that you have developed and that you've seen as being effective through all the studies and all the work you've done, tips and habits that help people to develop EI. Yeah, great. Great segue. Thank you for keeping me on track. <laughs> so, um, All right. So, hey, and just two things to mention, because I think lawyers love these terms you know, the legal community loves these kind of framework and to set the stage for the self-awareness training. There's two concepts that I think could be really helpful. And these, these are tips and these are the habits. One, and we were just talking about this, but I want to give you a term to Google and it's response flexibility. What, what Tina and I were just talking about uh, with the self-awareness piece or mindfulness piece, sorry, is um, pausing before you act. So it's just a fancy way of saying pause before you act. That's that's a huge tip to be more emotionally intelligent. It does, we don't need to make this more confusing than it is. It's just pause before you before you act. That's response flexibility. And secondly, I love this idea of cognitive fusion, which comes out of cognitive therapy. And the idea of it is that it's really easy with cognitive with with thoughts that come up. We have thousands of thoughts all day long. They're they're constantly coming up for us. The idea of cognitive fusion is that we tend to treat specific thoughts, and they tend to be the worrisome thoughts as reality. And, and psychologists refer to that as fusing with their thinking. So, and a huge one in the legal profession is perfectionism. So when we start talking about tips here, um, recognize that we have this tendency, we're, we're prone to the negativity bias, to latch on to specific thoughts. And, and the legal community in particular, and most professionals struggle with perfectionistic thoughts. So, um, for example, you know, I have to have the best GPA. I, I have to be um, on the top committee. I need to make a partner. Um, we have uh, unrealistic thoughts that come up for us and we tend to fuse with those. And what emotionally intelligent people are able to do is they're able to say, wait, is that, is that my lens? Is that kind of perfectionism at work there? So, so we'll, we want to pay attention and start to defuse from our thinking. And there's some really good to move into the skills. There's some really great ways to do this, some good exercises. So let me walk through just a couple. That sounds great. Yeah, cool. With, with self-awareness, we're sort of talking about two different parts of self-awareness to set the stage for these skills that I'm going to go through. There's moment-to-moment self-awareness. So in the moment, as you go throughout your day, being self-aware, which is really what I think Goleman and a lot of the other people uh, prominent researchers in this area are talking about with, with self-awareness. Just as you go through your day, you're recognizing how you're feeling, you're mindful of, of your response. So that's in the moment self-awareness. The, the second part of self-awareness that's is the deeper drives and passions and values. It's knowing who you are at your core. 
So there's two real important aspects. And part of that deeper part is being able to think back, to reflect back in your life, as we talked a little bit about in the last episode, being able to reflect back in your life, know who you are, know what really influenced you. So for the moment-to-moment awareness uh, skills, one that I wanted to mention is what's called the, the ABCs. And it's, um, it's a very simple idea. And it's A stands for an activating event or trigger that could happen in your life. So you know, you're, you're at work. Somebody says, oh, you look, you look tired. I don't know. That's, that's just what people say. <laughs> How no, often no, do we hear that? <laughs> no, doesn't, that, doesn't that make you feel sick? Don't say that, by the way, okay? Emotionally intelligent people don't say that because that makes people not feel great, right? But let's say somebody, <laughs> somebody says, hey, you look tired. And, and what, do we, what do we do immediately? We have uh, a C is the consequences of that activating event. So we have a strong reaction to that. We may start to feel emotionally, we feel kind of like, oh man, that doesn't feel great to hear that. Or, um, you know, we start to uh, try to, to look a little bit better. Uh, we have a behavioral and an emotional consequence is the C. And in between the A and the C is B, which is our beliefs about that event. So a better example for this would be if you have a client who, who calls you and the phone rings and you see that it's, um, you know, it's client A on the phone who you have a really hard time dealing with. That's the activating event is the phone ringing. You have a series of beliefs or automatic thoughts about that client that are going to lead to how you feel emotionally and how you're going to treat that client on the phone. So one really important skill or tip for in the moment, moment to moment awareness is to pay attention to be what the beliefs are because our beliefs and our cognitions about activating events, that's our filter. And we have to get in touch with that and, and tap into that. Okay. So now to move into the, the deeper part of it, the, the more driven uh, values uh, aspect of self-awareness, the deeper drives and motives. I do an exercise that I refer to as passion mapping. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah, kind of cool, right? And there's a few other people that are talking about passion mapping, but um, I think applying it in this way is pretty unique. And and most uh, legal groups that I've introduced this to really like it a lot because it has them reflect. What I have to do is have the the, um, client or the, the group reflect back over two big things, thinking about their life. Why did they become a lawyer? Why are they sitting in this room right now in this training? And I have them think about two crucial things. What were the, what were the influencers? And I'll walk them through this exercise. What were the influencers, the people who influenced you the most in your life? And what were the defining moments of your life? So I'll give them a little handout and have them walk through this. And people will pretty quickly jot down two or three names of people who were very influential, maybe a relationship, a partner, a boss, teacher, parent. Uh, and then think about what were the defining moments. And it's so interesting what people choose for that. You know, maybe uh, a failure you had at some point. You know, you didn't get the summer associate job you wanted in law school, and that totally changed your course. So we do passion mapping. Once you figure out what the influencers are, and the defining moments, you can literally map what your passion is to tell your story, to tell your narrative. And that allows you to recognize what you really value, what inspires you, what your strengths and weaknesses are, which is another crucial part of self-awareness. And then you can align your life with who you are at your core. And that is going to increase your satisfaction and your performance over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And again, I think it's very similar to the best boss, worst boss exercise in as much as, 
you're bringing to the forefront in people's consciousness these things about themselves that have probably been swirling in their minds for many years, but you're developing a framework within which they are considering these things about themselves in a different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly right. You know, and I, I know you've written about this and, and have talked about it on previous episodes uh, on the paradigm shift here too. And and you've really taken that step too of applying it to multicultural uh, competence and, and working in a diverse workplace and really helped people realize that as they get to know themselves, they get in touch with their own biases. And emotional intelligence is such a, a crucial set of skills for being a multicultural lawyer, you know, really being aware of what your own cultural values and biases are, uh, aware of others' worldviews, you know, and, rec- and it's okay to have biases. I and mean, we all have stereotypes and biases, but emotionally intelligent lawyers are able to really tap into that and, um, and recognize, you know, they invoke a process on their own to recognize what their biases are. They're more accepting and empathic of others. So that's, that's also a way that I think it, it's really beneficial in the workplace. That's great. So um, our time together is completely flying by. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about how EI relates to well-being. Um, can you talk a little bit about lawyer wellness, which we actually touched upon in our last episode, and what EI has to offer in that regard? Absolutely, yeah. So, so I think there's a there's a couple of huge things. One is we've been I've been talking a lot about self awareness, and I joked on the last episode that I end up spending most of my time talking about that because it's so it's so crucial. If you're self aware, you recognize when your thoughts are starting to get negative or pessimistic. And how we think is how we're going to feel. Where, where the mind goes, the energy goes, right? So when you're tuned in to how you're feeling, if you're starting to feel burned out at work, if you're starting to get uh, impacted by the workload, um, then you're going to start to feel burned out. You're going to start to feel down. Your motivation goes down. So emotional intelligence helps you stay tuned into that and recognize, oh, I'm starting to feel a little burned out. You know, Am I overdoing it? And then we can realign our life. So maybe you start to introduce exercise. You start to sleep better. Emotionally intelligent people are able to recognize when it's happening, and then the self-management piece is saying, "Oh, I'm you know I'm not eating great. I'm not I'm not spending time with people." So it allows you to maintain a positive outlook, also continue to to, to practice the habits um, that really keep you healthy. And you know, uh, there's there's a lot being written about this right now too, with the buzz of mindfulness. That you know, just meditating once a week or practicing mindfulness is not going to be sufficient for a full healthy lifestyle and and to live the way that you want to. We have to really embody a, a lifestyle that makes us happy and, and that leads to success for us and is, is satisfying, keeps us in line with our values. And so when we're emotionally intelligent, we're able to stay connected to that and to really um, you know live congruent with how we want to. Um, I actually have a question for you about that because yeah. a lot of times people equate what you just said with a discussion where, you know, and this is one that's been around for a long time, the whole discussion about work-life balance, what that means. There's been much discussed about millennials, you know, being the generation that has really brought that conversation to the forefront. In the context of our wellness conversation, I thought this might be a good thing to bring up just to get your thoughts on that whole paradigm of work-life balance, what it is and what it isn't. Do you care to comment on that? Sure. Absolutely. You know, I just, I just wrapped up a two-year uh, leadership program with 
pediatric physicians. And um, it's so fascinating because I would ask them, what's what's the main thing that you want to focus on? This is a leadership program. And it was emotional intelligence-based leadership program. But time and again, this group of pediatricians said the work-life balance issue and really, you know, burnout and their own mental and physical well-being came back over and over. And, you know, just a couple of thoughts on that. You know, uh, Matthew Kelly, who's a pretty prominent uh, author and can, uh, national um, speaker, his book Off Balance introduces a lot of nice, nice uh, ideas in it. But one thing that he talks about, and I think a lot of other people are, are on board with this, there's growing consensus that the work-life balance concept is not only helpful, but it can actually be detrimental in a couple key ways. It really, you know, it implies that our work and our life are totally separate, you know, and um, in this way, we, you know, we set work and life sort of against each other. And the thought that follows is that you're either working too much uh, and living too little or vice versa. So uh, again, with emotional intelligence, we're able to recognize this pitfall that's there because it's just not true. You really can't separate it. And I think a, another huge part of this right now is technology. I mean, I don't know about Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I mean, that, just- yeah, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. The technology aspects really um, make one bleed into the other in a way that you really, they're, they're inseparable at this point. So I, I think that what you just mentioned in terms of the tension is absolutely right. And I'm not really sure how healthy it is to think that you can separate something that has really become inseparable. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, helping, I think for all of us, we're still, the technology has been so exciting that we really haven't set healthy limits yet. The pendulum has swung so far. I mean, for our listeners, I'll be surprised if there's anyone out there who can't relate to this simple notion that you and I are alluding to of how do you, how do you manage this little guy here? You know, this little iPhone that I have sitting here buzzing at me and it's, it's so, it's very addicting. And the new research that's coming out on it just shows that screen time is on the rise so much. I mean, we're constantly connected. So as professionals, we have to have little tricks that we do to, to manage it. And for our, for ourselves, we need to really be thoughtful about what's okay for us. You know, what's, what's the norm here in terms of what's a healthy balance with our gadgets and our technology. And a couple little tips on that. One is to, when you get home from the day, to find a, a period in the evening where you take a break from from all technology, you know, as a family, as a single person, uh, you know, as a, as a married couple, whatever your home environment situation is, schedule tech free time and literally either you don't have to turn it off, but you know, put it in your put it in a spot in your house where um, you're okay with it being, and and you're not going to be spending time there. So we literally schedule in time. For me, that's right when I get home. I have kids. I have three daughters, so. Um, I don't really have a choice, you know, that's be bombarded by three crazy kids. So, um, <laughs> it, but it's so important for me to not be on my phone while I'm being a dad. And that's really huge for my sense of my purpose in life. And for my balance is to, I know when I get home and it's so tempting, if I keep it in my pocket there, cause we're such habitual creatures, we're going to pull it out over and over. And so I've, you know, I know right where I'm going to set it. I plug it in right when I get home and I know that I'm not looking at it again. Usually it's, you know, from five 30 till about eight o'clock after bedtime. That's just a, a good time for me. So we have a a tech-free time, so that's huge. I don't know if, if that's something that you've that you've done too, or if you found uh, for yourself, Tina, that you're able to do. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. I think we can all, and I most certainly can do a better job of trying to develop some tech-free time. Um, it's just very easy to let 
your time on the technology just go forever. And I, and it's interesting because I think some people are of the mindset because of social network and social media, for example, that the technology, and I think it's true to a certain point that the technology enables you to connect with people in a way that we have not been able to connect before. I, know, I think so where 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 things sort of go off the rails a little bit, depending on who you are, is sometimes when you take that technology and use it and leverage it to be only connecting with people that way rather than having a more human connection, which is actually a good segue into our last segment because our time is almost up together about the human connection, what yeah. it is and what it isn't. And we would love to get your quick thoughts on how emotional intelligence can boost the human connection, which when you think about it at its very essence, that's why we're here as people is to connect with other people. So what are your thoughts on emotional intelligence as it relates to the human connection? Absolutely. And such a great segue and great point. And, you know, I was mentioning with this group of pediatricians and, and not different than lawyers that a lot of time they talk about the work-life balance being a huge uh, problem. The other, the other big thing that I see and I hear a lot that people are interested in is how to have meaningful relationships in their life. Meaningful, genuine connection uh, is, is really um, challenging to get amazingly. And you're absolutely right. The technology can help us stay connected and you know text and communicate with people in a way that we haven't ever been able to do before, which is so wonderful. And these things all relate, right? The work-life balance issues, the technology, how we manage that, and then human connection. And emotional intelligence offers so much in this area. I mean, we've spent we spent our time on the paradigm shift here really talking about the self-awareness and self-management piece. The other big domains of emotional intelligence are social awareness. And so, and increasingly in my clinical practice in Asheville, I have young adults, young professionals asking me, um, how do I connect with people? You know, uh, I, I've spent, you know, high school or college online and I have a lot of social media outlets. But when I sit down with somebody that I'm interested in dating or when I go to a job interview, what are some ways to connect? And the research is really clear with emotional intelligence that empathy, when empathy goes up, human connection goes up. And so at a time where we're really worried about being able to connect and social skills, we have to know how to increase our empathy for people. So it's not always as simple as developing better listening skills, although that's part of it, but a huge part of it is being more empathic. And um, a couple uh, ideas for that is um, to really start to see similarities as opposed to weaknesses or uh, differences, excuse me. So to if you walk into a room, and again, this goes back to where emotional intelligence is really all about mental habits. So when we're connecting with someone as opposed to focusing on what our differences are, start to focus on what our similarities are and our empathy goes up. You know, if you've ever had the experience of getting to know a group of people that you maybe had a strong reaction to, uh, as you get to know them, you find that you're more empathic towards them and you're able to, to form that human connection uh, a little bit easier. So, um, so when empathy, um, when, when we're focused on uh, the similarities, it helps a lot. The other thing is to um, cultivate a curiosity as you go throughout your life. So, and this requires more than just having a brief, a brief chat. You know, we, we really have to right. try to understand the inside of someone, the world inside the head of the other person. 
you know, when you, when you meet somebody that you're interested in forming a relationship with, or you're trying to network, be curious about them, get out of your own head a little bit and ask deep questions about where they're from and what drives them. Have some back pocket questions that you have at your disposal that you can pull out. Hey, you know, where are you from? Uh, just these very simple things can make a profound impact in terms of connection. Um, so we want to we want to have a, a curiosity and we want to listen really carefully and track what people say as we start to ask questions. And then secondly, so part of it is like having a curiosity and asking questions. And then we want to open up. We become more connected with people when we share real and genuine, meaningful things about ourselves. So dare to be vulnerable and share something meaningful and real about yourself. So we want to ask questions and then listen and then open up. And those are, those are essential yeah. ingredients to connection. That is pretty amazing stuff, Rob. And uh, you touched upon so many things in your last answer. I mean, I can tell you that one of the episodes that I'm planning to do rolling forward with Paradigm Shift is on empathy. And you may have to just be the person I call upon to have a have an additional discussion well, I would love about to do empathy that. and connection. Yeah, but yeah, that, that that's really that's really great stuff. And I just I can't thank you enough for joining me for such an informative and insightful discussion, not only about the science, but the practicalities behind EI and what we can all do better. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to share? And can you let us know where our listeners can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Just final thoughts. I just want to say thanks so much for the opportunity. And uh, I, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the last episode that this really is pioneering work. And I think most of your audience, especially uh, the lawyers who um, are you know tapped into the emotional intelligence and mindfulness community within law and the wellness community within lawyers, they're going to know pretty quickly when they see what you're up to, Tina, here with the paradigm shift, how groundbreaking this is, and you know just how cool it is that uh, somebody in your position, you know, par a partner at a top firm, uh, is taking the time to do this and um, to introduce. These, this way of being, I mean, it's skills and competencies. You've heard me use a lot of different terms, but really we're talking about a way of living your life, you know, being kind, staying true to yourself, knowing who you are. These are the core things that people are attracted to and, and they're going to follow you. That's why it's, it's also leadership and great lawyering. And so I just want to say thank you so much. I really do feel so strongly that these, these qualities that we're talking about hold the potential uh, the conversations you're having, Tina, I mean, they, this holds the potential to create a more humanistic uh, and uh, high performing legal community and such a critical profession for our society. So thanks so much. Well, thank you so much. And where can uh, folks find you if they want to look for you both by uh, email as well as your website? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, so the best place to reach me, uh, and I'm you know, happy to consult uh, by phone or come in and meet with your company and, and get an idea of how things are going. The best way is just at my website. It's robdur.com. That's R-O-B-D-U-R-R.com. And that has my contact information there. And again, uh, the, the firm is Roots Psychology. So thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Rob, and thanks to all our listeners for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you have enjoyed our continued exploration about the intersection of emotional intelligence and the law and how each of us can use emotional intelligence and fully integrate it into who we are professionally and in the world. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.